Well, it's my joy and pleasure to be here. I want to thank you, Jeff, for the invitation and Elder Team for the invitation. As Jeff said, I, I serve an uh, organization called Youth Missions International, and um, we get the joy of, of working with churches across the country and around the world, really to train and equip young people to become leaders within their local church context. And, and we do that by training and mobilizing them um, through short-term missions, through sports outreach, but with the goal of them to be discipled in their local church context so that they can begin to lead. Because if there's one thing that almost every church can agree with, it's that the church needs more young Christian leaders leading in ministry in their church. And so that, that's, our, that's our challenge. But it starts by knowing the gospel and living out the gospel in a local church community. And one of the things I love doing is I get to know churches around the world is I get the privilege of getting to see the challenges that face different churches. And you know what's interesting is there's a lot of similarities no matter what context it is. And the answer and the solution to the problems that face each church is starts with the gospel because the gospel transcends culture because our God transcends culture and it's amazing. My, I, I'm married, I have three kids. Um, we live here in Puyallup, so not far at all. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you, you know that Jeff knows you well when he, when he sends out, every time you're invited to speak, you, you kind of ask for parameters, like what's the dress code? How long should you preach? Is there a topic you want to preach on? There's kind of this protocol you go through. And, and so Jeff's response to me was, max 45 minutes. Uh, so so I, I love that because like that's the only time I've ever gotten that response. It's like, wow, he knows me well. So I will, I'm going to try to stick to that. So if by chance, you don't enjoy the sermon this week and you're visiting, please come back next week because you'll hear a better one. Um, but thank you for being here. Um, if, you, if you'd open up your Bible to Ephesians 4, we're going to, we're going to dive into Ephesians 4. Like I said, my, my passion, my love has become the local church, the, the body of Christ. Um, and the Lord started doing that in my life around college age. And one of, the, one of the things that he used to really teach me the importance of the church was the book of Ephesians. And so I need to apologize to you because I feel like I'm doing you an injustice. You see, growing up, I had this family friend that we would go over and they, you know, most of us pray before we begin the meal, but they, they had this theme where they would say, Are we going to pray at the beginning, the middle, or the end? And like, I went over and they're like, We're going to pray in the middle. And I was like, What is going on? And so we're eating, and in the middle of conversation, and they just like, All right, stop, everyone, it's time to pray. And they prayed in the middle of the meal. And I was like, What is happening? And it just, to me, felt like it was disrupting the meal. And, and and I feel like that's what I'm doing to you starting in the middle of Ephesians 4. Because this book is so incredible. It is so jam-packed with so much that it applies to us today. And God's plan for us as a church as we live out our Christian life in the community and the context God's given us. So what I'd like to do is just do a quick, just a quick summary is chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We have... 
we have Paul talking about us as a church, our hope in Christ. He talks about how we were, we were saved before the foundations of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons in Christ Jesus, that we might enjoy the riches of his grace. He talks about our hope. He goes on to give us the hope that we have in Christ. Chapter two talks about our position in Christ before we were dead in our trespasses and sins as we walked in them. But now we're alive. And he prepared works beforehand that we might walk in them. Chapter three talks about our purpose in Christ. And then we get here to chapter four, which talks about our role as a church in Christ. And you, you see that phrase, in Christ, that's the key phrase of Ephesians. Ephesians is preached and, and, and Paul writes it throughout the entire book because we as a church are in Christ. We're not just with Christ. We're not, we are in Christ. Take the idea of when you jump in a swimming pool and you're completely immersed by the water. That's what has happened as we became a new creation as we were saved, we are now in Christ. And so we come to this passage in Ephesians 4, verse 17. And would you read with me? Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed and practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you have learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Will you pray with me? Father, we are just blown away that you have forgiven us. We are, we are undeserving and yet you freely give. May you teach us Forgive like you have forgiven us. Lord, as we look at this idea of the new us, our new identity, and how, it, how we are to live that out as a body, may you speak to us. May you convict us where we need to change to be more like you. May you encourage us to grow in the areas that we're, we're growing in, that we would grow more. Lord, may we spur one another on as a body of Christ. 
here in our local community and with, with those that we work in, are in relationship with in, in the communities around us. Lord, I pray that you would keep me from error and be faithful to proclaim your word. We love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. You know, a lot of peop- people spend a lot of money to try to reinvent their identity. Rather that's going on diets, I mean, rather that's um, trying to, to have a status uh, by material possessions. I mean, you think about it, every New Year's, we have our New Year resolutions. And oftentimes, it's because we don't like where we are or what we look like, and we want to be something else. And so we spend all this time thinking about what we're going to change, and then we do it for like two weeks and then give up. Another, I mean, we, there's a, we even have a whole phrase, the midlife crisis. Someone hits midlife, they realize that, man, they're not where they thought they were going to be, and they try to change everything about themselves. Identity is a huge issue to us. Identity, knowing that we belong to something or someone... Knowing how we identify ourselves is huge and important. And it's not just in our culture, it's in every culture. It manifests itself differently, but it's in every culture. We identify ourselves by something. And oftentimes, you look at issues in the world, it's because we feel like we need to elevate our identity over something else. And here... Paul gives us our identity. He gives us our identity. In fact, he tells us, he reminds us that we must redefine our identity from what we were before. In fact, he says, he says in verse 17, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. This idea is, you were this, you must no longer be this. And so there was this identity that you had, but now that you're in Christ, you are no longer this. In fact, he says, no longer walk. And this is a theme that's traced throughout Ephesians um, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in once you once, in which you once walked. Um, verse 10 in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus good works, uh, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of which you've been called. You see, this idea of walking, is a, it's a continual process, something that we actively do to get from one place to another. We don't just teleport to get to a new location. We have to walk to get there. And so Paul is giving us this, this encouragement, this admonishment that we need to no longer walk as Gentiles. That's what we used to do. We need to change that. That is no longer our identity. In fact, he seems to be indicating there are two types of identities. There's before Christ, and then there's in Christ. 
And we were before we were Gentiles. He uses that phrase Gentiles, someone disconnected from the promises of God, but now we are in Christ. And so how can we still live like we're before Christ? In fact, this is a constant theme in Paul's messages in Romans. He, he asked that very question. Should we, should we sin so that grace may increase? And he goes, may it never be. It's the strongest negative that, you, that Paul could say. May it never be. How could you who are saved from sin still walk in it? You see, we are no longer our old selves. He contrasts that and says we need to redefine ourselves. And so he, what is this new identity? Well, let's keep reading. He defines what the, the old identity was, right? We were alienated, darkened in our understanding, alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that's in the heart. Those that are separated from God had become callous and given them up to sensuality, greed, every kind of impurity. That's, that's who we were. That's how the Gentiles walk. But we should no longer walk like that. Why? Because that is not how we learn Christ. We need to put off our old self in verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God. You see, Paul's, Paul wants to give us a strategy for how to no longer walk in our old self, but to walk in our new self. He gives us, this, he gives us a command, no longer walk like you're a Gentile. And, and so here's a strategy to help you do that. You see, the first thing is, the first thing is, Know Christ. That in verse 20, he goes, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You see, the first thing we need to do is we need to know Jesus. We need to know Christ. And Paul knew how they knew Christ. Why? Because Paul had visited Ephesus. This letter he was writing was because he loved this church. He had spent two years there. We see in Acts 19 that he first visited, the gospel had already come, or the truth had already come through Apollos, but he only had partial truth. And so Paul then educates them and preaches the gospel to them to further the truth so that they would believe in Jesus. And they were saved, and Paul lived there for two years among them. This was one of the longest places he lived in his in his life that we have once he began his missionary journeys. He loved this church. So he knew how they knew Christ. He knew that they, what they had heard, and he was reminding them, first, you need to know Jesus. Why? Why do we need to know Jesus? Look, look with me at verse 21. As the truth, is in Jesus. We know Jesus because we need to know Jesus because he created everything and he is truth. He is God. He is the one that we need to have relationship with, but he is truth. He defines what is right 
and what is wrong. And so our first strategy for not walking in our old life is making sure, do we know Jesus? Do we know him? And knowing him isn't just knowing about him. In fact, I think this is one of the challenges we face as believers. Often we think the gospel is just something we know. That's something I knew and I believed in to become a Christian. But the gospel is something we need to remind ourselves every day. Because think of your relationships. Did you just know your wife or know your kids once and that's all you need? Know your friends once and that's all you need? No, you actively pursue to get to know them better. One of the things that drove me crazy when my wife and I were dating is she had this thing she would ask me every single day. Tell me something I don't know about you. And I was just, you know, by like the 15th time, I'm like, you know everything. Like, I don't know. Like, and I, but it was such a great thing to try to think about how can you get to know me better? How can I get to know you better? Because then I would turn around and be like, all right, it's your turn. You, I answer, you answer. That was kind of the rule. And we still do that from time to time. Tell me something I don't know about you. Because relationship is an ongoing process. So we need to first know Jesus. Second, we need to deny ourselves. Take, put off the old life, the old self. He says, you have heard Christ to, and you have, and you have been taught to put off your old self. And what does that even mean? We use a lot of Christian phrases that we don't necessarily take time to stop to think, what does that mean? Or, or we think we know what it means, but we can't explain it. And so this idea to take off your old self. Well, what is our old self? He already defined what our old self is. So that's our, that's our habits, our sinful habits, our vices, if you want. Um, anything that is not like Christ, we need to take that off which means that we don't identify ourselves as that way. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever just used this phrase, well, that's just the way I am? A lot of times we like to use that phrase because we don't want to change. And, and we may have natural tendencies. We may have struggles and, and temptations that we deal with, but... Here's the good news, and this is why this is so important. That's not the way it has to be. We don't have to be enslaved to our temptation forever. We don't have to live that way anymore. And it's not just a magic wand that you wave over the place and you're done. No, it's a struggle. It's a fight but we need to let ourselves, remind ourselves of the gospel that we are no longer that way. That's why it's a daily battle, not just something we know. We are no longer that way. So first, we need to know Christ. Second, we need to deny ourselves, deny our sinful desires, take off our old, our old self, which belongs to our former life. And third, we need to have our mind renewed. Notice I didn't say we need to renew our mind because Paul is very clear here that he says in verse 23, um, 
and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, in the spirit of your mind. In fact, he's very specific that it's a passive word here, which means we are the recipients and it's being done to us. And so why is that significant? Because oftentimes, as believers, we may not espouse works-based salvation, but we espouse work-based sanctification. And while we are actively part of our sanctification, we need to be totally dependent upon Christ to change our hearts, to sanctify us. And so we need to ask him to renew our mind. In fact, when you see the, that idea of being renewed in our mind, um, Romans 12 12.2, Titus 3.5, the spirit renewing. You know, we are always the recipients. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So again, it's that passive idea that we are being transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. The, the spirit is in doing that to us. And we need to ask him to help us in our, in our helpless state. So third, our third strategy is we need to have our right mind renewed by being dependent upon the Spirit to help us in our weaknesses. So first, we need to know Jesus. Second, we need to deny ourselves. Third, we need to depend upon the Spirit to renew our minds. And fourth, we need to live our new life. And, and where I said we, it is an active part it's not just something that we passively do. We are part of the sanctifying process. We are actively involved. That's where this comes in. Put on the new self. The idea is put on yourself your new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why is this important? Why are, we, why are we talking about this? Why does Paul write about this? And here's why. This is the new us. I think that many of us as believers live in an attitude of a defeated state. I just can't overcome that sin. It's just too big. I, I just, when I get to heaven, then I'll be relieved. And yes, there's an aspect of the that's right. You will always fight it. But because we are in Christ, because we are a new creation, that means every temptation is an opportunity to say no to sin and say yes to God. And every temptation is an opportunity to have victory over sin. Is that not good news? That's what the gospel is. Not only were we saved from sin, but we were given power over sin. Paul says in Romans 6 this way, you are no longer slaves to sin that had to obey sins. It was our master, but you are now slaves to righteousness. We, we before we were in Christ, had to obey our sin. We had no choice. But now we have the ability to say no to sin and yes to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? What a, what a hope that we have in Christ. This is the new us. And I don't know where you guys are. Everyone's in different stages of life. 
Some of you are in the, my, the stage my wife and I are in, young kids, and you're just trying to survive every day, just praying for enough energy to get through the day. Some of you just get to enjoy your grandkids. Some of you are looking to go to college and, and just trying to survive high school or, or enjoy where you're at. But here's the reality. If we are in Christ, this is our identity. You know what? This, this word new, you, your new self, it's a very important word in the New Testament. Because every time it's used, it's not a revamp of the old. In fact, Paul uses a different idea of renewing your mind, just revamping and refreshing and, and focusing on what's right. He uses a different word from new self. And he's very I think he's very specific because he wants us to remind us that we're not just a copy of our old self that's an upgrade and better. We're something completely brand new and different. You see this idea with new covenant. It's a new idea that God has created that gives us access to the throne room of God. You see this with the idea of a new law. The old law was done. This is a new law that you love one another. It's a very important theological word throughout the New Testament. And it's very important to our identity. We're not just a upgrade from a dented can to a whole can. No, we are a completely brand new can. Which means that we are no longer enslaved to our sin. Now, this is all nice in theory, nice in theory and ideal, right? This is, but this is how we need to first renew how we think about ourselves. And when the rubber meets the road and the struggles of life happen, this is what we need to hold on to and go back to. But the reality is sin makes things messy, doesn't it? And so we have to cling to this truth to remind ourselves to give us hope and to remind ourselves to depend upon the Spirit. So here's what I would encourage you not to do. If a friend comes to you and tells you that they're struggling with something, to just give them a pat answer and be like, well, you no longer have to struggle with that, so you're good. No, that's not what I'm encouraging us to do. We need to get to that place, but we need to walk with them. And we see that because Paul then says, Let's, how is this to be lived out in the body of Christ? Verse 25. So we, we have this idea of new and now we get to verse 25. Therefore, in light of that, having put away falsehood, lies, deception, let each of you now speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work so that he might give something, have something to share with someone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up of the body. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for a day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. He starts going through a very practical list. And what, what's common about all of these? Gives us six things. They all have to do with relationships with each other. They all have to do with our interaction. Where's this coming from? It's coming from earlier in chapter four where it says, walk worthy of the manner in which you have been called with humility, patience, uh, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all. You see, Paul is saying the church that, that Christ has saved, that we are part of, is so important that we keep the unity of the body of Christ together. So no longer walk how you formerly walked. Be new because you are new so let's look how this lives out in the body together. So how does this practically intersect with our lives? First, we need to be truthful. There's nothing that tears a church apart as lies. Gossip. Put away falsehood. Speak truth. It's not just lies, it's anything that's false. We need to speak truth. Second, don't hold on to grudges. You know what, there's a lot of, everyone knows stories of someone that's been hurt by the, by the church. You yourselves may have been hurt by the church. And, and it's, we all know someone that, well, the church is this church. Here's the reality. The church is made up of saved sinners who make mistakes. Right? That's what makes the church so beautiful is that we were, we were Gentiles. We were unbelievers, but now we're something new. But we still make mistakes. And so we can't, as a church, hold it against each other. We have to let go of it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There are times to be angry. When injustice is done, when, when someone was wronged, right? We see Jesus angry in the temple that his father's house is being defiled. But we cannot be sinful when we're angry. We can't make it about ourselves and make it selfish. And we can't hold it against other people. That's what it means. Let the sun go down on your anger. Holding on to it. It destroys a body. Third, don't steal anymore. Work. Why? So that you can give to people in need. It's not just to build up our, our retirement. Build up our lifestyle. Have comfort. It's not for that. It's so that we can give to someone in need. Do you see that? That everything about our life 
as a church body should be to build up the body of Christ. This new identity that we have is to build up the body of Christ. Fourth, we see verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up and as fits the occasion, so that may give grace to those who hear. Oftentimes, this is a verse that we use for no swearing, and that certainly is part of that idea, but it's, look at it, no corrupting talk. It's more than just cuss words. Tear each other down, biting remarks, gossip, slander, anything that is corrupting. Our speech needs to build each other up. And so part of our new identity is encouraging and edifying each other. And a simple question to ask ourselves, is this going to edify the person across from me or not? It's just a simple question. And if it's not, don't say it. And don't be like, I was going to say something, but now I'm not. Because you know what the other person's going to be. Well, say it. No, I'm not going to. No, just say it. No, if it's not going to edify, don't say it. Again, Paul comes back to this idea. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. There's just no room for that in the body of Christ. In our new identity, we cannot hold on to things. There, th- when you start looking at these words, you start seeing the idea of the quiet murmuring. The, and then the loud, I'm going to be so mad, I want everyone to know it. There's no room for any of it in the body of Christ. We have to let it go. And lastly, we see be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. We, as a church body, must deal with conflict. Isn't that everyone's favorite thing to do? We just love, I mean, how many of you are just wake up in the morning, I hope I have conflict today, right? But there's conflict is not bad. Conflict is a chance to glorify God. To strengthen your relationship with the other person and to demonstrate the gospel because you are forgiving as God has forgiven us. That doesn't matter whether it's in your marriage, with a friend, a coworker, or someone here in the church. We must forgive. And forgiving isn't just sweeping it under the rug, it's actively pursuing for biblical restoration with someone. Relationship. I feel wrong. I'm choosing to forgive you. I've wronged you. Will you please forgive me? Part of our identity is that we must, as a church body, resolve conflict together. And the question is why? Why does Paul go through this? Why is our new identity, the new self, Why is that important? And here's why. Because the stakes are high. The stakes are high. Do you see? There's two phrases in that phrase of very practical things. You were this, but remember, you're no longer slave to corrupting talk. You're no longer slave to stealing. You're no longer slave to falsehood. Be different because God has made you different. And in the midst of that, there's two phrases. 
Give no opportunity to the devil and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. They're parallel, they're, they're parallel phrases. Why is that important? Because this, the church is Christ's representative. When you start looking at that phrase, grieve the Holy Spirit, you'll see it comes, Paul is referencing Isaiah 63, where he's talking about the people of Israel, God's chosen people, who when they were in the desert, as they were going through the Exodus, grieved the Holy Spirit. They were the representative of the gospel to the nation around them, and they grieved the Holy Spirit. So Paul's reminding them, don't be like that. You are new. You today are the representative of Christ. Don't be like God's people in the Exodus. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't be the instrument of the devil. Don't give the devil an opportunity by your sin to tear apart the body of Christ. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. We see this in chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church is Christ's representation to the universe, to creation that Christ has saved the people for himself. He has made new creations and we are the representation of that to the church. So the stakes are high. The stakes are high. May we not give the devil an opportunity by living in our former lifestyle. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit by living in our former lifestyle. May we find strength through Christ every day to live in the newness of life. So I want to leave us with three questions today. And this, and I say us because this is a reminder for me. This passage applies to me as much as anyone in here. First, do we live in a defeated mentality? Is there anything in our life that we're just convinced we'll never have victory over addictions substance addictions picture addictions entertainment addictions is there anything attitudes well, I'm just an angry person and it's not just as simple as well, I'm no longer be angry, and you just, you know, flip a switch. No, we actively fight against it, knowing that each opportunity is an opportunity to say no to sin and yes to God, and we need the Spirit to renew our minds so that we can make that happen. We don't have to be slave to it. We have to actively fight against it. So do we live in a defeated mentality? Because this is important. If we're just like, well, I know I'm not over, going to overcome it, then we'll never overcome it. Why? Why even fight? I just can't do it. No, we need to fight because the stakes are high. Second question is, which of the areas that Paul identifies do we need to have victory in? Are there any of those practical areas? 
falsehood. Corrupting talk. Anger. Bitterness, wrath. Or conflict. Any of those areas that we need to have victory in. And if so, what are we going to focus on and ask for help in as a body of Christ? Ask help in and our accountability partners and ask the spirit to renew our minds. Third, do we actively build up the body or do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Are we actively looking to build up the body? Are we letting our old life grieve the Holy Spirit because we're tearing down the unity of the body? Doesn't mean there won't be conflict. That doesn't mean that there won't be things that need to be dealt with. Doesn't mean that there won't be things that need to be worked through. But the difference is we're committed to work through them to preserve the unity because the reputation of Christ is at stake. Are we looking to build up? Are we committed? Or do we have our foot halfway out the door because we're just not satisfied? No, we can't live life that way. We were created as a new creation to be part of the church as a representation to the world. Will you pray with me? God, what a, what a blessing. What a blessing to be able to know that we are no longer slaves to sin. I thank you for your gospel, your master plan that changed our lives. That we can actively fight against our old lifestyle through your help. Lord, may we have victory. May we have trust and faith in you because you have already paid the price. Lord, give us the desire. Give us the want to, the want to change. Lord, oftentimes I know in my own heart, it. It's not that I live in a defeated state. It's that I don't want to have victory. Lord, help us to not love our sin, but to love you. And Lord, may we in our church body here and the church body that you have called us to live to preserve the unity of the body. May we be active to build each other up, to edify each other and to preserve the unity of the body of Christ here so that we might be a representation of your work to all around us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.